excited we've got an incredible episode and it is it really is it is amazing it's amazing and weird but we'll get into yeah, it yeah it's shortly. amazing and weird it's a specialty of ours and did you dive deep into the rabbit hole because i did and it, because all the questions you asked were all uh, that you put in the bullet points for today's yeah, guest interview yeah, yeah, yeah. are all the same questions i have too well, there, we're, we're of like minds. Do we reveal who it is yet, or we'll do that in a minute? <laughs> we will in a second. All right, in a second. Well, so what's up, Dave? What's up in your mind, man? You send me these links about Paleo News, and I've usually read them. Yeah, I know. I... But did you know that when we went to the Amazon trip, you probably found this before, there is a fungal parasite that takes control. There's many of them, by the way, that takes controls of animals' brain right, functions. Right, the zombie, the zombie thing, the zombie right. fungus. So there is a fungus that takes control of an ant's brain. Right. Yep. Causes the ant to do several things. One of them is clasps mm -hmm. its mandibles onto a blade of grass or leaf. Sometimes it instructs the ant to climb to the top of a blade of grass or branch or leaf. Right, it, it yeah. instructs the ant to clasp its mandible and hold tight. Then the fungus explodes out of the ant's abdomen or brain or thorax, depending mm -hmm. on where the fungus is. Oh, yeah. Creates a stalk-like mushroom. Yep. And, and then releases its spores. Yeah, it's uh, it takes over the brain. It bursts out of the brain. Oh, yeah. it's just horrible. It's like real life uh, invasion of the body snatchers. The movie Aliens. That's what I'm talking about. So, oh yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, a little the chest uh, burster. Yeah, <laughs> a chest burster. So, so here's the two cool things. When we were on the Amazon, someone found a leaf with an ant on it. I remember that. And I have a photo of that, which I'll put on this uh, okay. episode yeah, yeah. website. Well. The reason why I'm talking about this is scientists have just found this uh, event preserved in amber. No. Yes. It's been around forever, huh? It's a 50-million-year-old amber from the Baltic region, where a lot of amber is, is from. And when you look at this picture, you could see a mushroom growing out of the ant's abdomen. Ouch. And a bunch of other fungal— hurt. Yeah, because it died. It obviously—this yeah. is the throes of death. And there's a bunch of other fungal bits in this clear piece of amber as so well. So this has been going on forever ever and ever. This is in the Eocene then, 50 million years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In yeah. amber. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, who knows how long uh, it has uh, it has gone on. And, and in that book that we're both reading, Locked in Time. You paleo nerds need to get a hold of this book, Locked in Time by Dean Lomax because it's an entire book on fossils that represent a moment in time with animals being preserved in action. For example, there's a T-Rex and a Triceratops, classic enemies that died and got preserved fighting each other. There's early fishes and turtles preserved in the act of mating, the last tracks and body of a dying horseshoe crab, plus many, many more that show preservation in what I like to interpret as evidence of a living moment in time. A Wednesday at 3 p.m., life in action, but millions and millions of years ago. It's an awesome book, Locked in Time by Dean Lomax. Totally worth it. 
He talks about a parasite that affects birds that they found in the famous Sioux Tyrannosaur. Which That's is right. It had it all over its jaw. Yeah. So in its jaw are these holes drilled in by this parasite that either, I guess, eats the bone. And it must be a very, very painful condition. Pretty nasty stuff. I thought I should explain, too. Uh, you may have wondered about my croaky voice this morning. No, you, you sound know. very bedroom, very I do, don't I? So I just wanted to point out to our listeners that... I'm recovering from a cold. And yes, I'm fully vaccinated, but I got a cold. So, well, I, I haven't had a cold in a year and a half, Ben. Yeah. Well, so, tum yum soup. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try that. But anyways, we are we're we're set to call our special guest. Yeah. Um they're all special. Every single episode our guests well, are special. And, yeah, they uh, are, Dave. They are, but some are special or And tell me how you first uh came across Karen Chin. Karen Chin uh, is our guest today, and I have known of Karen's work well, forever, really. She's uh, she's uh, one of the bigger names in paleontology, and uh, she's kind of started her career out with Jack Horner, and That's we'll hear right. a little bit about that. She's one, another one of those kind of accidental paleontologists. She got turned on to it, and then off she went, but she is an expert in? Yeah, in coprolites. Coprolites. Some yeah. people say coprolites. Well, you On know, show, I just we'll watched, I went, I went down the rabbit hole. Everybody says coprolite, not coprolite. So I'm going to stick with that. But what is it? Oh, coprolites. Yeah. It's, it's fossilized feces. Fossil feces. Before we call her, I just want to get out Ooh. all the stupid jokes right now. Because I no. don't want to do that in front of her. Like, like, what was this Come on, about? Come like, get to be idiots with like, her. Like, who Dave, is the you're... who is the poopetrator? Right, the poopetrator, man. The which which dinosaur laid this giant turd? Who's the poopetrator? Right, Dave. So, you are you asking me to deny you. Well, uh, uh, coprolites happen, man. Coprolites happen. See, there's one. That's a T-shirt. Coprolites happen. Oh, Get it? that is a T-shirt. Okay, but you, I right. have to correct you though. Coprolites I have to happen. You. Coprolites in, in, happen. In your bullets, you said that coprolites are are rare. Coprolites are kind of rare every now well, and then. No. They're very they are very rare in herbivore dinosaurs and not so rare in theropod dinosaurs because theropod dinosaurs, the meat eaters, help mineralize their feces rather than the herbivores they break down. No, no, no. I think it's exactly the opposite, dude. Well, we'll ask her. Yeah, no, I think it's the herbivores, the the, the herds of cattle like creatures are no, pooping they all don't, the time. They don't fossilize because they're filled with plant material. Whereas, oh, we're gonna go whereas, down. All yeah, right. Whereas all right, all right. the theropod and the meat eaters, because there's so much uh, calcium and phosphorus in the tissue and in the bone, that helps mineralize the coprolites. I read that paper completely different. Man. Well, let's so, call up our guest. Karen Chin. Karen Chin. And, and you know what? We'll just go right into it. And I'm going to ask her about her background, but... Really, you're denying me the jokes that we can have here, Dave? No, Let's just keep, what them, happens. keep them clever. That's all. Keep, keep them oh, clever. <laughs> because you know what? My question at the very end addresses this very topic about jokes and feces. Oh, okay. All right. All right. She's heard them all, I'm sure. Okay. All right. Call her up. All right. Hey, Dave, meet Karen Chin, professor in the Department of Geological Sciences at the University of Colorado in Boulder. She's also the curator of paleontology at the University Museum of Natural History, and she is considered one of the world's leading experts in coprolites, if not the leading expert. <laughs> it's a great honor to meet you finally, Karen. I've heard so much about you. I've known about your work for, for decades, and 
Meet my buddy Dave. Hi, Karen. It's a pleasure to meet you formally, Ray, and to meet you, David, as well. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. Thank you yeah. for being here. We have so many questions about fossil feces, but first I want to ask you, are you a paleo nerd and how did it all begin? Oh, I'm absolutely a nerd and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay, we like that. Well, actually, it's interesting though. When I was growing up, I had a dinosaur book, just like almost every kid. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool. But then I kind of grew out of that phase and I was interested in everything. I'm interested in plants, animals, funguses, bacteria. And when I started, it was a lark that I that I actually got into paleontology. I met Jack Horner at the Museum of the Rockies when I was in graduate school working on plant ecology. And I needed work at the time. He offered me a job preparing dinosaur bones. Wow. So that's how I got into it. But before that, I thought, you know, it's crazy for people to be interested in fossils. Why would you want to study something <laughs> that you can never see? Well, when you can I, walk I, out the door and you can see everything brilliantly. Yeah, I, I've read uh, a few of your the bios on you. And yes, as a kid, you uh, liked naming off all the Latin names of living things. That's right. <laughs> so you took a big turn. You got the fossil fever working with Jack Horner. You were cleaning bones. But what an opportunity of all the paleontologists yeah. on the planet. He is like, when was He's this? This would have been, what, the 80s, 90s? Yes, this was in the late 80s. Right. And I, it was totally serendipitous. I didn't know that he was such a, a renowned person at the time. I did talk to our museum director at that time, and he said he had a hotshot paleontologist coming in, but I didn't follow paleontology <laughs> at the time, so I didn't realize how incredibly fortunate I was. And you're at the Museum of the Rockies. You end up going out to Egg Mountain, uh, the Two Medicine Formation, and you're collecting stuff. And there were these mysterious blobs, right? That that's the right. big segue. Well, kind of. So okay. When one of the jobs I had several jobs working for Jack, I I cut bones to look at their histology, hmm. and I also wrote text for the museum. And as I was looking for things to write about, I ran into some reference that said that, that fossil feces had been found. Mm. And I thought that was the craziest thing. How <laughs> could you preserve something that's so mushy? So I ran to Jack and I said, hey, you know, isn't this funny? And he said, well, I have found some. <laughs> and I was absolutely shocked. And I asked him to show me some, and he did. And um, because I was making thin sections of bone, I asked if I could make a thin section of the coprolite. Wow. And so when I did, and I looked through the microscope, I could see plant cells from 75 million years no old way. ago. And I, it blew my mind. And I thought, you know, if we want to try to understand how dinosaurs interacted with other organisms in their ecosystem, this is the way to do it. Now, was this well, a coprolite that looked like a, you know, a hot dog or, or dog feces, or was it one of those blobs it, that didn't, yeah. th that you couldn't tell because uh, like it had little white phosphorus 
Did it resemble a turd? Did it yeah. look like a turd? <laughs> That's what I was trying to ask. You can say the turd is the word. We could use that that term here. So did it look like one? Actually, not too much. It looked like a really weird rock. And what happened is when Jack was out at Egg Mountain, the, the two men, in the Two Medicine Formation, he found these weird rocks that looked like they had a bunch of plant tissue in it. And it mm. reminded Jack of when he was a child, well, maybe not a child, a teenager, when he was growing up in Montana, when the circus would come to his small town, he would get a job cleaning up after the elephants. <laughs> so he rather assumed that all these, since he had found lots of dinosaur bones, he assumed that when you found a bunch of chopped up plant material in a rock, that it was probably a coprolite. Wow. Wow. Jack is very intuitive in his scientific thinking. But when I began studying him, I still had to lay out the multiple lines of evidence that actually confirmed or supported that these are coprolites. Let me ask you this. Were you one of the first people to do these thin sections on feces? Well, that's a good question. Um, because you really know Probably. you are associated. You are, this is uh, stuck to your reputation, if I could use that word, that you are the person, you are the go-to person for coprolites. I'm wondering if you were the first person to pioneer this. I know that when I read up on the history of coprolites and how we know they are fossil feces, that Mary Anning is credited for having figured out, hey, wait a minute, these strange blobs are probably fossil poop. And then uh, Buck- Well, she found spiral- Bits yeah. in, uh, in plesiosaurs or, or ichthyosaurs? Yeah, the, from the like ichthyosaurs and the plesiosaurs, and then Buckland ended up uh, getting credit for a lot of now, it. Who's this Buckland it, guy again? Was he the guy William that Buckland, stole, her, stole her fire? Well, he was a uh, well-known scientist back in the Victorian days. But, right. but what I'm wondering is, uh, with Karen, that uh, you were doing some uh, pretty revolutionary work looking at these turds, as it were. Well, that's an interesting uh, thought. I guess I hadn't thought about it um, mm. because you are right. We've known about what fossil feces are for longer than we've people have recognized the, the group of dinosaurs. So people have been studying them for many years, but I think that probably most of the studies were probably morphological. Like the size and chemical shape. Chemical tests, right. Yeah. So I'm, I may have been one of the, the first or one of the first to do well, things. That, that's so cool, happen. but what, what can a fossil feces well, wait, well, what is the, but wait, what is the criteria to establish the fact that it is fossil feces? You're about to yeah, say Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that is a really good question because Actually, studying fossil feces is very challenging because when you find a bone, you can look at the, the fossil and say, this is a bone. Now I'm going to mm -hmm. study you know, what its shape is and who might have made it. When you find fossil feces, you say, well, this is, this is a shape that looks like a turd, right? Yeah. But is it really? Or is it just a suspicious pine cone? What is that? Didn't they think they were called they were pine cones back in the 1800s? Some some. Some fossil feces did resemble pine cones, yes. That so, is a pine cone. No, it's not. It's a, yes, I can yes. hear it all now. <laughs> so shape is actually what we are all familiar with, but, and that works if you've got a medium-sized animal, like a dog or, or maybe up to a lion, you get these cylindrical shapes that, that match the intestinal 
um, right. the intestines, the cylindrical tubular shape of intestines. But when you're talking about something the size of a dinosaur, it is deformed either when it comes out or upon impact or trampling. So when I started studying dinosaur coprolites, they can just, they don't have a recurring morphology. Oh. So I look for things like chopped up inclusions that suggest mm. food, like chopped up bone or chopped up plant. What it was eating, yeah. Uh, tissues. I can look at the chemistry because animals that eat other animals, that tends to have a phosphatic composition. But if you're looking at those from herbivores, coprolites from herbivores, there's very little phosphorus in plant tissue. And so that has to have an um, external source of, of minerals. So then you're looking at maybe calcium carbonate or So you're silica. saying that the more minerals, the better it is to, to fossilize and preserve. Well, Ray and I have a bet. Right, right. So uh, he's about he's he thinks he's winning the bet. But let me let me let me. This is why I'm seeing no. all these these strange expressions from you too. All right. So if let me let me just put this out there. So which um, which type of dinosaur uh, poop fossilizes best and is most common? Is it the herbivores or the meat eaters? It is definitely meat eaters. Winner. Oh, because my, because hear, but let me yeah my, let, my my ears are turning. Let me red. tell you why. Because Turn. the phosphorus content in muscle tissue and in bone helps mineralize uh, it, the preservation of the feces. That's right. There's well, a, one of the reasons. Right. We we it's an autochthonous or internal supply of a mineralizing agent. So even though there were. In the history of the earth, there have been far more. Well, let me let me amend well, that. At least as was... long as we've had plant tissues, yeah. there are far more herbivores than right. there are carnivores. Herbivore or coprolites from herbivores are really rare. Really, because okay. you have to. They have to be deposited in the right conditions, rapid burial, and an external source of minerals. Whereas coprolites from animals that either are animals or other tissues, they've got that in the, the tissues already. There, As you say, there's a lot of phosphorus in animal tissues. Wait, I got a stupid question. Why does some dog poo turn white? <laughs> Is it? Well, no, really. I mean, you must, you have to do, compare extant feces to understand fossilized feces. Oh, right, yeah. Right? Um, That is ideal, right? <laughs> I would... But I don't exactly know about dog poop turning. It's probably it's probably poor poor diet, crappy food you feed your dog, cheap food. I think it's some. I think it's some kind of um, chemical change. Yeah, yeah. So I well, can say that I have gone to um, a zoo and I have looked at hyena feces, and those were the ones I looked at had probably been been deposited within a day or so and some of those were already white so in that case i think that was a high percentage of calcium phosphate from the bone they ingested do they so feed maybe at the zoo? maybe do, that's it dave maybe it's they, a, yeah, it could be calcium uh, more phosphate. bone content right. or more meat or something you know yeah since a coprolite represents one day in time all right an afternoon or it's wednesday when that dinosaur squatted all right one day that the feces was produced is it possible that 
the inference of the diet is, is a time or famine dependent? I mean, if you find one coprolite and if food was scarce or the normal diet was interrupted, and that's all you found of, of that suspected individual, is it possible that you're not seeing an accurate representation of the ecology of the environment or what that animal ate? Absolutely. That is a really good point. If I have a day when I am craving candy and that's all I eat one day, you know, and people looked at my poop 3,000 or 5 million years from now, they would say, oh, all people ate candy. Well, that's wrong. That was just one day. So it's really important. Um, all, I think coprolites are very informative, but it is optimal if you can examine more than one Multiple. from a given area. Right. So you get an days. idea of recurring diets. Got it. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. So it really is completely counterintuitive that you are going to find more of the meat eaters turds than you are from uh, like the thousands and thousands of triceratops and duckbills. But when you started looking at the, the, the thin sections, you saw this plant material, and especially with these uh, duckbills, the myosaurus, you had some startling discoveries that they were actually, you, you could begin to see the world through basically these little magic packages from the past. And you began to extrapolate environmental information from this, and you came to kind of a, a, a unusual conclusion about what the uh, what the, the myosaurs were eating. What, what was that? Right. Well, first of all, I love that you describe them as magic packages because I do, <laughs> they, they do give That's you That's a this... quote from you, actually. I, I wrote, wrote oh. it down. You okay. actually said that. You also said, yeah, you said feces are bags of bacteria, too. That's another great oh, yeah. quote. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the little magic packages from the past told you something about uh, the world of the myosaurs. Now, myosaurs are hadrosaurs, correct? And they're the Duck. ones from Egg Mountain. Otherwise they known, laid all the eggs in Egg uh, Mountain. Two medicine formation, otherwise known as duck-billed dinosaurs. Right. Right. And they, they laid many of the eggs in that area. Yes. So... These um, coprolites from that we found in the two medicine formation, first of all, they, the ones where I actually dug them up so I could estimate their um, approximate original volume, they were about six to seven liters in volume. So they were sizable. I say, I like to say it's maybe a little bigger than a basketball. Gotcha. Mm. And they were filled with fragmented wood. Oh, well, I could tell that from looking at thin sections. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. But I, no, I mean, who, who eats wood, right? They were probably eating conifer. It was conifer wood. And I thought they were eating conifers like junipers that have little teeny leaves. And in order to eat the leaves, they had to eat a lot of twigs. So that was what we published. That's what we suggested. In you the thought they're paper. going through the stuff, trying to get the twigs and stuff in the plant. I mean, they're like the berries and things, but yet you found a lot of wood. It was almost all wood. I did not see any evidence of leaf tissue at all. So that could be a, a taphonomic problem. You know, right. they just weren't preserved. Well, it was about 10 years after I published the first paper. I just began thinking about all of the pieces of wood I'd seen in there. And I had not seen one cylindrical piece of twig, which you'd think if they were eating 
twigs with leaves pressed against it. They have lots of that in their poop. All of the pieces I found were uh, rectangular. It looked like mm. when you go in the forest and you find a rotting log. Yeah, wood chips and yeah. Right, big exactly. So I began looking at the thin sections a little more carefully, and I could see based on the how the cells were together that all of the wood cells had, not all of them, many of them had been released and they were free in, in the coprolite. And this is very unusual because wood is held together with lignin that kind of acts like a glue. So all the cells are rigidly held together and it, it takes a lot of, it's unusual to, um, to break down lignin because it's it's so tough. Yeah, it is, it's really you're, you're eating that. trees for God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, and, and as even, you said, who eats wood? Exactly. Woodpeckers. No, sorry. Uh, no, they don't. They're getting that termites other stuff. eat wood. Beavers. Beetles eat wood. Insects eat wood. But, well, yes, but they have in uh, critters in their guts that help break down the the wood. Wood, like even though yes, termites eat wood. They have proteins in their gut that can break down the wood and, but wood, uh, breakdown of lignin requires, requires oxygen. And you can only do that in a very teeny animal with, with, that has a gut that is not far from oxygen. I do have a, an animal that I know of that does eat trees uh, that lives in the Amazon, the, the armored catfish eat trees. So I've been to the Amazon a wait, number wait, of times, just, four times. Mean, we got to explain that. What do you well, mean eat actually, trees? They walk well, up to a tree, they we, swim up to a tree and eat it? Come well, on. Actually, there's the flooded forest of the Amazon. The Amazon right. goes up 40 feet, goes down 40 right. feet, and the, the fish swim into the, it, literally through the trees. So what, they gnaw but on the bark? I was there with a number of ichthyologists, and we would chop limbs apart, and lo and behold, there would be catfish in the limbs, basically eating out the tree from the interior. And you can Google wood-eating, tree-eating catfish from the Amazon. Okay. They're placoscopists. So, so your, do, wait, your do, they, do they create a hole and climb in as they eat through? They chew their way. So these, they chew their these, way through. These wet logs. Through the wood, eh? And the wet logs in the, in the forest, you know, in the rivers, will be... Stuffed with catfish. Karen, you're going to have to rewrite your paper now. <laughs> well, that is fascinating. And I'm going to look that up. That's really cool to know. But I suspect that they were feeding on rotting wood. Yeah, it's rotting. It is rotting. Yes, it's because, definitely it was mushy wood. So when you, some bacteria, but mostly to rot wood, it requires white rot fungi. They can break the bonds of the lignin with cellulose. And when you break the bonds of the lignin the lignin with the cellulose, you are in increasing the digestibility of wood by probably 20 to 30 percent. Hmm. And this is why farmers in Chile are actually known to cut open uh, rotting logs and then their cattle go and feed on the rotting wood because they are getting cellulose out of that. So I love this the, to know about, I'm going to have to look that up about the tree-eating catfish, because that's another example of organisms being able to capture the cellulose value in rotted wood. And what is that? Is that like a carbohydrate? Is that like eating grass? 
Right. It, it, yeah. it is kind of right. 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 So, so, what, so what did you infer from yeah. this, this lignin torn, what lignin torn piece of coprolite ingested wood? Coprolytic. Well, it, it, it showed, okay, that these guys were, had not been just feeding on twigs. They had been feeding on wood that was already rotted. I see. So you, you say, okay, well, why would they do that? Okay, number one, well, yes, they can get uh, cellulose, which is what herbivores feed on. So they could get an enriched diet that way. But why not just feed on leaves? Why go to the trouble of feeding on rotting wood? Because rotting wood takes a lot longer to regenerate than growing leaves. Mm -hmm. So my hypothesis at the time was that they were getting sustenance from the cellulose released from the wood. They were getting sustenance from the fungi, but they were probably getting most of their sustenance from all of the fauna that live in rotting logs. Insects. Insects and crustaceans. crustaceans. Yes, because- Mollusks. If you are a dinosaur, an herbivorous dinosaur, and you are getting ready to lay your eggs, right? You have to have increased protein to, to yolk those eggs. So if you're an herbivorous dinosaur, like a 24 foot long myasaura, you're not going to be chasing after mice or jumping after dragonflies. If you need a source of animal protein, you're gonna go where there is an aggregation of it's a predictable source of where invertebrates are going to be hanging out. Did you find did you find pieces of crabs and arthropods in, in that snails and things? In that wood, in that wood-lined turd. <laughs> well, in the two medicine formation, we found no clear evidence of insects. We found evidence for dung beetle burrows, but no clear evidence for insects in the coprolites, but that could have been a taphonomic problem. Well, wait, define taphonomic problem. A taphonomic problem is that it just the the evidence for the insects, their their bodies did not preserve well. Right. They didn't preserve well. So they, the taphonomy, the taphonomy. The so dead stuff, dead things preserved, taphonomy. Right? Okay. okay. Exactly. Right. Now we did find snails. However, most of the snails we found were nearly all intact. So that suggests that the snails were post-depositional visitors to the, the dung pats. They were feeding on the poop. Exactly. So why did you say mollusks in a rotting log? Is this something submerged in water in a marine environment or freshwater environment? I was wondering if this, these are the rotting wood might be in sort of swampy areas where they're, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just imagine duckbills. Duckbills have batteries and batteries of these teeth, just thousands of teeth, right? And so they could right. chew through stuff. But are they kind of along a, you think there's a coastal environment or what was the environment itself? Well, the environment of the two medicine formation was semi-arid at least mm. part of the year. And we oh, can tell oh. that because of the caliche nodules that form, that's uh, calcium carbonate that builds up in the soils. But it builds up when you have enough water to mobilize the calcium ions, but not enough to, to totally rinse them out. I've never heard of this. Is this caliche not? Would I find that in the Mojave Desert or in Southern California? 
You'd find them wherever there's a high percentage of calcium carbonate in the soil. From the limestone deposits or yes. yeah, from marine deposits. The mountains that drain down into the two medicine formation Were are, once... have paleozoic limestones. Yeah, pre-laramide orogeny. Yes, so there, there's lots of, um, from, like you said, from limestones from the ocean. Right. When you, if you drop, if you drop, say, hydrochloric acid on the sediments of the two medicine formation, it will fizz because of all the carbonate there. Right. Okay. Laramide orogeny is one of my favorite pair of words that I've randomly been repeating all my life for no reason. I don't know why, but I love to say those words. Laramide orogeny. Call it OCD or something, but I've been repeating this for decades after I first read about it in a John McPhee book, Basin and Rage. Now, orogeny means mountain building, and Laramide orogeny was a time period of mountain building in Western North America, which started in the late Cretaceous 70 to 80 million years ago and ended 35 to 55 million years ago. So there, I love saying that Laramide orogeny, Laramide orogeny, you try it. Sorry. So to get back to the original question, this was not a really wet environment. There were pro oh. probably pockets of, of microenvironments that supported things like snails right? because they need a kind of a moist environment. But a lot of it was just not a very wet environment. Um, however, I believe that many of the coprolites at the two medicine formation were preserved because of a flooding of flooding events. And okay. that's why we often see the snails in there. But getting yeah. back to your question yeah. about- Keep us on track, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, years later, well, let's see, that paper was published in 2007 when we were looking at the rotting wood that the, the dinosaurs had ingested. And years later, some of my colleagues told me about other possible coprolites from the Kaparowitz Formation in Southern Utah. Aha. Uh -huh. About the same age. So we started investigating those and they were almost identical. They had uh, rotted wood inside, they had dung beetle burrows in them, they had snails in them, but they also had crustacean exoskeleton. Oh. The, the carapace of some kind of crustacean. We don't know what kind. Maybe it was a crab, but we don't, we only found the pieces. So we haven't been able to put, put together a full... I've seen that image. I've seen the... Crawdads, uh, probably crawdads that were could like... Could have been crawdads, could have yeah. been crabs. But the really cool thing about this find is that we found pieces of crustacean throughout many of the coprolites in the Kaparowitz formation. And that told us that this was definitely um, the the... Crustaceans were definitely eaten. Now, if we had found little pieces of insects, somebody could say, ah, those insects visited after the dung was deposited and they were just smashed in there. Well, when you're dealing with larger crustaceans, when you have pieces, you know that they were actually eaten. So this was really fun to find because it really supported the idea of herbivorous dinosaurs actively ingesting invertebrates. Making wow. them omnivores. Ah, good point, David. Touche. Making them at least uh, omnivores part of the year, yeah. 
So you published a paper on a tyrannosaur turd, and the turd was the word, and it was a really cool paper, got a lot of attention. What did you find from that uh, tyrannosaur feces? Well, we've actually published two papers on oh, wow. tyrannosaur okay. turds. One okay. was, uh, the first one was on uh, probable T-Rex poop. Mm -hmm. um, that was the first one, and that was exciting because that was the first time people had recognized large theropod coprolites. Again, they were just, it was an ugly, weird-looking mass, just a weird-looking rock. Didn't look like a poop. Didn't look like a nice cylindrical poop, right? And that was cool. It had bone in it, and that showed that the Tyrannosaur um, apparently adjusted, ingested a lot of bone as it was eating. The next paper was of a, a larger turd. The first one we had estimated it, but it was probably broken, that it was probably two and a half liters in volume. But, oh, can I, can I tell you a funny story about yeah. that? Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> we love funny stories, especially if they're about fossil feces. <laughs> well, I was trying to find evidence that we could say this was definitely produced by a T-Rex or not. You yeah. can never, never say no, it'd be a great, it's a great claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> T-Rex poop here. Right. Step right up. If you know, with coprolites, you can never say for sure, but you can say the most likely candidate. Right. Okay. Or as I like to say, the most likely poopetrator. Right. <laughs> I love that. Can we do the drum roll poopetrator? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there was another uh, one. It was who dung it. Oh yeah. Who dung it. Who dung it? We said we weren't going to go there, Dave, in this, but well, we, those we are, had wait, to. Wait, Ray, those are clever oh. jokes, okay? Not oh, stupid the dumb puns. Ones. Yeah. All right. Stupid <laughs> puns. You put dumb puns again. So anyways, you are there with the poopetrator, and uh, you, you're proving it's a poopetrator. We're trying to provide strong evidence that it was produced by T-Rex. And so it was two and a half liters. So we looked at... Uh, who are all of the carnivores in um, that particular formation? It was what year? the um, Frenchman formation. And um, Cretaceous. Yeah, the latest Cretaceous. Well, that's Maastrichtian? Yes. Roughly, you know, 66 million years ago. Right at the so, right before the comet. I did that right. without looking at anything, by the way. That's yeah, impressive. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. He's getting there. So, what I decided to do is to try and find out to give me a range, what is the largest poop that a person could produce? Well, there was that Viking one. Wasn't there a Viking one in the news in the last month that they found? Yes, they found a Viking feces and they, oh, you, you guys are looking at me like you haven't heard of this. What? <laughs> no, no, this was not in my oh, news it, feed. It, it was in my news feed and it, they called it the biggest, uh, and this, this had to be a huge man to have made this, and it was long, and they were able to, oh, my goodness. Okay, I, all right. We'll, sorry, uh, we'll I, post I'm sorry. a picture I'm of that. To, no, I'm going to start right now and just see if I can Google this. Uh, the Lloyds Bank coprolite is a large paleofeces desiccated human dung specimen. Uh, it was discovered in 1972. So I guess this article is about what was discovered. It's the largest fossilized human turd ever found came from a Viking. Okay. 
Did they say how large it was? Yeah, here we go. Uh, it's uh, This log is many centuries old, but it's a log with a difference. And it is eight inches by two inches. So 20 centimeters by five centimeters. That's a fair-sized poop. That's a fair-sized poop there, ours ah. by the gods of Thor. But I think we're talking to a scientist, and Karen yeah. is quickly uh, calculating. I saw she just calculates the numbers there. Well, so I wanted to assume that um, people were, you know, an average person may, could be maybe uh, 200 pounds or something. And there were some other carnivores that lived in the same formation that were 200 pounds or so. So I wanted to see what is the largest hoop that a, a human could make. Mm -hmm. And without having the benefit of that article, I called a uh, coprologist out of the blue, cold call. I just called the office and I said, hello, my name is Karen Chin and I study, <laughs> I study dinosaur feces and I am trying to, I would like to ask the doctor if, if <laughs> they can tell us what is the largest <laughs> amount of feces that a human can produce. And the woman who answered the phone said, Okay, well, thank you. I will pass that information to the doctor and see if he will call you back. And I said, thank you. And we hung up and not two minutes later, the phone rings again. And another woman answers and said, was this call for real? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, it was. And um, so they, they said, okay, they passed the message along. And the doctor was very kind enough to call me back and but it's interesting because he said there, as a doctor, a coprologist, they're mostly interested in the health of humans. They're not interested in the volume of feces. Right. So, so he didn't really um, so have So you said any... coprologist, is, is, but we call them a proctologist, right? No, is there, a proctologist. Is, there, is, there, no, proctologist is, there, is there a difference? Very different. Actually, you know what? Proctologist I is where this poo comes out of. Okay, I couldn't find a coprologist, somebody who studies feces per se, but I did find coprology, which surprisingly is the unclean in literature or art. That's a new one on me. And of course, scatology is the study of feces. A proctologist now is a surgeon who specializes in diagnosing and treating disorders of the lower digestive tract, which includes the colon, rectum, and anus, Currently, proctologists are referred to as colorectal surgeons. There you go. Sit on that one for a while. You know, to be, to be honest, I don't exactly remember which kind of doctor I called, except that they were people who looked at poop. <laughs> I was wondering if you hang out with uh, proctologists. Well, how about did you did you, and, you okay? Know. Did you estimate a human uh, poo could be just an average about what uh, half a liter? I don't recall if we estimated <laughs> anything for that particular. Well, paper. let's get into dinosaurs then. Talk well, yeah, about... let's take it back to the T. Rex turd. So, <laughs> uh, where is so? What did you found out that these the tyrannosaurs are actually chewing and ingesting bone? You know, are they actually digesting? Are they going for the bone? And they're they're also eating meat, or they're like a hyena, crunching bones and flesh. I think that they were probably primarily after the meat, but inadvertently they might have, you know, when they were, they weren't delicate eaters. Right. <laughs> and they couldn't chew. 
And because those little hands, hands can do anything, right? Right. <laughs> so they kind of break apart the food before they put it in their mouth. Wow. So I think. So in probably, other words, if they order a bucket of ribs, they're helpless. That's right. <laughs> they would eat the whole thing. I remember this from another interview. So we try to you know do our, our research before we have our guests on. You talked about one of your most uh, your favorite moments in uh, paleontology or in your career, and that's when you saw a bit of uh, actual muscle tissue from. The Cretaceous, the right. chunk of meat. So this right? was the second paper on a Tyrannosaur coprolite. It was from an older Tyrannosaur that was about 75 million years old. So it wasn't T-Rex. Okay. But And we were able to say that it was much larger than the other, the Tyrannosaur copro, the Tyrannosaurus coprolite. Hmm. That, um, or at least we think it was a Tyrannosaurus coprolite. That was two and a half liters this older one was about seven liters in volume. And as we examined it, I, I was, I had it under a microscope and I could see these odd shapes that were kind of wavy, really Fibrolamular. Striated. Yeah. Striated. Wow. And I made thin sections of this. I made, um, we did electron, um, scanning electron microscopy. I spent many sleepless nights. One day I'd wake up, oh, it's plant tissue. The next day, no, it's muscle tissue. The next day, no, it's plant tissue. <laughs> and I was going Good. back and forth with this. And I enlisted the help of a doctor from Stanford who studies muscle tissues. And he looked at it and he said he didn't think it was anything else. But part of the reason was because one of the Thin sections I made serendipitously. I mean, this was a pure shot in the dark. When you make thin sections, you're saying, well, I think I'll cut it here. And you never know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. But I happened to get a, a longitudinal section. Oh, you cut it lengthwise. Pipe. Yes. And it showed the striated muscle oh, morphology. Wow. And it was, I remember I was I was a, a postdoc and I had a microscope at home. I was making thin sections at home and I, I, I put it under the microscope and I felt like I was in a movie. I, I just, I think I started, I don't know. I think I started yelling because it was so uh, diagnostic of muscle tissue and this, you know, wow. I've been struggling with this. I just, it was hard for me to believe that a Tyrannosaur 75 million years ago could produce a poop and we could still see muscle tissue or meat. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I got chills, you know, as you told that story. Was this, uh, where, where's, where was that turd from? Uh, is that? That was from Dinosaur Park Provincial in Park? Canada. Oh, so it was uh, probably like a Displetosaurus well, or something? Uh, no, Albertosaurus. Yeah, there are several different Tyrannosaurus. Well, that is so cool. That is yeah. so cool, Carrie. So wow. you can't really ascribe a species to a coprolite, but... I had an interesting experience. I was in the desert, went to an old mining shack, and a coyote had found a piece of old carpet, curled up and died. And it looked like it was sleeping. And my son and I went, what, what? And we looked and it had died, but just outside his anus was his last feces. Because he obviously was sick or something, who knows why he died. And it was obvious that that was one of his last actions before he expired. So has there ever been a fossil found 
a fossil dying in the act of defecation. Because that would say, wow, that's the coprolite to this individual. That's interesting. I'm curious. That's a good question, Dave. <laughs> well, it, there have been a few cases where people have found an undeposited fecal mass in the gut region. Okay. So then, I mean, it's, it has not been deposited yet, but then they can say, yes, this gut residue belongs with this animal. But it would be so chemically different to something that's been expelled it, it and be subjected. Little, it, it wouldn't have the right shape. Right. But I think it, it could still be quite similar because in the digestive tract, the feces kind of are stored in the, the rectum area. So if it's right near the end, it's going to be pretty similar. But that's a, a very unusual occurrence. That would be, there are these, some people have found these fossils of horseshoe crabs. I'm, I'm deviating a little bit. These fossils are, <laughs> are right. challenging to study because it's activity and you can't always say who did the activity. Mm -hmm. so, is a coprolite a trace fossil? Is it part of ichnology? It is. It is indeed. Oh. So tracks, burrows, coprolites are all, right. all are all trace fossils. And with tracks, you also do not necessarily know who produced it. Right. But in some rare cases, people have found the body of the a horseshoe crab. There's a little crab. dead horseshoe crab, yeah. And you can see the trackway leading up to the dead carcass. Yeah. So that you know, that's kind of comparable to finding a kind of a an undigested fecal mass in a in in the body of an animal. Coprolites uh, go way way back in time. I mean, you can actually find little. I'm just thinking of trilobites and their little trackways, and their trilobites had to poop too, right? But wait, and wasn't there, there a trilobite in a coprolite? I thought I saw. Uh, uh... I don't know if that's ever been the it case. Was the, but... It was the uh, cephalon of a trilobite in a coprolite. Uh, that. That's, that almost rhymes. That sounds like poetry. <laughs> oh, wow. I wouldn't be surprised because, yes, there are coprolites that are that come from the... Um, what is the oldest coprolite? Yeah. Uh, what well, they, they come, there's some from the Cambrian, but there are probably some from the pre-Cambrian as well. There are not, there's not as much evidence that they're coprolites, but I think... I think there are. You mean like a Dixonian from the Edacrian would have made well, a poop? I don't. I wouldn't say who produced <laughs> it, but I mean Little you had things poop. that were eating other organisms in the 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 late the latest Precambrian. So. Wow. Um, it, it makes sense that you would find some sure. little fecal things. Um, yeah, the evidence is not as strong as some of the the Cambrian coprolites, but yeah, I mean we're we're talking old. Okay, I have a, I want to dive into uh, some of your work. If you were to sum up the body of your work, I it, I, I came across uh, something I've never heard before, and that's called trophic interactions. Now I'll just define it. I'm going to read it here because I've never heard of this before. They affect the distribution and abundance of organisms in fundamental ways because they are interactions of the entire environment of, of organisms. And the success of populations is largely a function of benefits derived from the acquisition of energy and nutrients and losses derived from predation. So what have you learned about the ecosystem? I guess, would you say that the medicine... Formation is your forte? To medicine. It's one of my favorite projects. It's one of my 
my favorite sites because that's where I started money, much right. of my research. I wouldn't right. say it's my only right. um, example. So, so I think what I'm asking is, is there a generalization that you have found from studying, the, I guess, the thousands of specimens of coprolites? I guess what I would say, if I, I'm trying to answer what I think you're asking, is that when people um, think of coprolites, they, you know, they make funny faces and they think about modern feces and it's kind of a, uh, it's a natural repulsive reaction because people are naturally inclined to avoid feces, which is protective on our end because we do not want to get sick from diseases or parasites. But in my mind, feces, they kind of represent, they're a symbol of trophic interactions throughout ecosystems. Who is eating whom? How are different organisms connected to each other in an ecosystem? So when I study coprolites, some of them tell me about diet. Some of them tell us about diagenesis. Which um, is? Oh, sorry. Diagenesis is just uh, change, chemical and biological change. As the, the soft tissue turns into rock, um, so there's... Oh, the so change you about of, of the fossil, how the fossil right. fossilizes. Right. right. Yeah. And some, so some coprolites are are so well preserved. You can see soft tissues like the, the Tyrannosaur muscle tissue we found. You can see diatoms, you can see really cool things and others have been so altered over time that even bone, you're only seeing ghosts of bone or you just can't see anything. So we think about how soft fecal material was preserved over time. So it can tell us about the taphonomy or the process of fossilization. It can tell us about diet. But I particularly like the specimens that began to allow us to connect different organisms within an ecosystem. And that wow. is why I do, I, I, I am partial. There's a soft spot in my heart for the two medicine formation because we have found these coprolites that tell us that those uh, likely the, the myosaur, duckbill dinosaurs were feeding on rotting wood so that we can draw a line to the, the conifer trees. We can draw a line to the funguses because they rotted the wood. And then after that, we um, have found dung beetle burrows. So those are dung beetles that capitalized on the feces. And then we can draw a line to the, the gastropods. They were also dung eaters. Which is Not called, Ray, it's called coprophagy, wait. Coprophagy. Coprophagy right. is something that eats feces. Coprophagy. Can we say it? I'm going to say it's a shit eater. There, you can bleep that oh. out. But <laughs> we, I, we managed to go the whole show. Nobody said shit yet, so I just said it again. I'll say it one more time. And I, yeah, How come we can say all the other words, Karen? We can't say shit, but you know. Well, guess what? If we were in Australia, you could. Absolutely fascinating, Karen, because really, I, after talking to you and, and uh, listening to uh, your presentations and reading up in your work, really, that you can extrapolate out from these little magic packages for the past. And I really do look at poop in a different way because it is a 
a direct result of the environment. And I read your paper, and Dave did too. We were looking at your work in the high Arctic and the, on Devon Island, and how just and there were just hundreds, if not thousands, of these coprolites, and they called you in. You had a, an Arctic adventure. But from that, you and your team were able to kind of extrapolate the entire northern environment of this polar, this warm polar sea. And which was you, not far from where it is now. Devon Island, you said it was only yeah. 10 degrees at the time during the Cretaceous. It was only 10 degrees in latitude off than it is now, which is which is remarkable because that indicates the polar regions were not polar, but were incredibly temperate. Yeah, and the, the fact that you, you ex also extrapolated out that, and here we are, tell us if any of this is wrong, but but uh, the environment was a near-shore environment, so there was a lot of nutrients coming in. So I just think that that is so cool that you, you, can, you can actually, I don't know, it reminds me of a William Blake uh, poem or something, in a single grain of sand you can see so much, you know, that... Uh, from these turds, you have recreated these worlds. <laughs> Actually, that's, uh, yeah, I like that. Because, you know, I think these feces are a symbol of the dynamic ecosystems we live in. There's, you know, all this biogeochemical cycling going on, and they represent a moment of time saying one organism ate another organism before that those organic materials were recycled back to the environment and moved on to other organisms. So, you know, even though people have an, the initial repulsive um, reaction Ooh, to thinking about yeah. feces, I think it just shows how dynamic are the, the biotic aspects of, or, or the biotic universe. Oh, no. Okay. I'm getting it. It shows <laughs> us how dynamic no, it's life on I earth have... is. Couple questions, but and since you're at a museum, have you has there been a, a great museum exhibit on coprolites? Can I go see any of these these magic packages? Can I see that that T Rex turd somewhere on display? Okay, so um, <laughs> a lot of the, the specimens, um, I do not know if the T Rex coprolite is on display because these specimens are pretty. Some of these dinosaur coprolites are pretty rare, and they're scattered in different museums. Um, the T. rex coprolite is um, the Royal Saskatchewan Museum. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if that one's on display. It may be. I believe there may be a replica of it there and, and, and many at other museums. I know of some exhibits on poop, just yeah. modern poop. And I know that some people have created some online um, exhibits of coprolites but i do not know off the top of my head of an exhibit that just okay. focuses on coprolites we never asked a question what is the largest amount of coprolite ever found i mean there's that scene What's in jurassic park ever? yeah well there's that scene in jurassic park where it's six feet tall by eight feet wide i mean it is a mound that would come out of a dump truck is that even uh is that, is that just hollywood imagined I I rationalize that as saying the zookeepers in Jurassic Park shoveled it all together <laughs> before it was carried away by a, a dump truck, as as they do in modern zoos. <laughs> You're right. It was, was much too big. A, a triceratops couldn't even have gotten its rear end over that. Ah, but think of a giant sauropod and yeah. the, uh, the amount yeah, of Yeah, like a titanosaurus. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would love to find a big pile of sauropod poop. Um, people it's never have been found, found huh? smaller pieces that might have been might have come uh, from sauropods, but we don't have a, an intact yeah. sauropod of a bona fide intact sauropod deposited. But you point. know, when you come across cow and horse poo, it's so grass-like that it seems to just melt back into the environment. Right, Ooh. and that's the problem. Remember, it's that's it's not just the mineralogical problem, but just like you said, herbivore poop is just not very cohesive. Mm. Interesting. Well, the deer pellets in my yard sure are. Right. But uh, that's hey, another creature. But Ray, but why I, are those deer pellets? Why do they taste so salty? <laughs> okay. Why don't you ask your question, Ray? Well, I have a. I have a. I have, I have one. Uh, I sent you a picture of a uh, alleged coprolite, and this. Uh, I think it's a shark turd. And there's another guy saying no, it's a shrimp burrow. In your in your professional opinion, you must be asked this all the time. Is do you think that's a turd from the photo I took? From it, the photo, it, I and it's so perfectly shaped, and it's like you know. Yeah, the, from the photo, I would be a bit skeptical, but uh, I, I don't. You know, the problem with coprolites, they can have so many different manifestations. I've seen many, but there are others that I haven't recognized. So it's possible. The only way to tell that would be to do some more. To, to to do a bunch of analyses slice it apart so all right we'll we'll just say it's an alleged coprolite there you so, go there uh, you allegedly go. but well let me ask you this karen if you could time travel all right <laughs> you go back in time you only get one choice here to go back in time what epic epoch what favorite paleo period what awesome age would you like to go back to and what would you want to see would you want to see that duck bill just pooping away, or would you? Am I am I leading the witness here? Would you? Or what want, would you what step would you in? See? What would you accidentally want to step in? Yeah, there it is. Okay, yeah. I I love I love the two minutes information, but I would go back to to try to observe some of the largest sauropods on Earth, mm. and see what they were eating, and see what their poop looked like. Awesome. <laughs> That's it. And, and, I, I wait a minute, I'd you would assure me safe passage back, right? Oh, of course. Well, yeah, that's maybe it's in the small print. Yeah, well, you can okay. get back, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be what? When were the largest titanosaurs? Jurassic? Well, titanosaurs last into the Cretaceous. They're right up uh, oh, to right. the end there. But uh, the big Jurassic guys in the U.S., but uh, titanosaurs in South America were quite robust in the days. Ray, can I ask my question? I think it's time, David. All right. First of all, this has been just so much fun, Karen. Oh, it's been a lot of fun for me, too. I hope we've risen to your occasion. One of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, and I'll paraphrase, is one of life's most overvalued pleasure is sexual intercourse, and one of life's least appreciated pleasures is defecation. So, Whoa, okay. Yeah, Mark Twain said that. Twain said that, okay. Yeah. All right. When speaking to children or the less mature among us, Karen, how do you overcome the squeamish and embarrassing aspect while discussing feces? Well, especially with children, I like to tell them, you know, this is natural. Just because we're not doing that it out in the open, it's like that children's book. Everybody poops. Mm -hmm. In order to live, we have to eat and we have to poop. So I, I just try to help the kids remember because yes we have these social um 
norms or norms built up against just rejecting the the even talking about it sometimes. So I I I do like to make sure that people just think about it as a natural process. And it is. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Everybody poops, man. In fact, you know what? I gotta go. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Really? So you've heard every joke in the world. Uh, are any? You know, I've I've seen the T-shirt. Copra lights happen. Do you have one of those, by the way? Um, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any? Uh, uh, Coprolite jokes that uh, you'd like to share with us, or I did a drawing once of Coprolite beer, Coprolite beer. Oh, that! Oh, yeah, that's I great. think I might have seen that. Yes, the yes, best that's ever. Cool. You know. <laughs> hey, Karen, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, you know, uh, talking uh, the straight poop with us today. I'm sorry, <laughs> I had to do another one there, but it was it was really fun, and I I, I look at uh, Coprolites in a different way now, thanks to you. I really do. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, Karen, it's been awesome. And I learned a new word, which is communition. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is the action of reducing a material to minute particles or fragments. And it happens in you and me and yeah. you. Yes. Communication yeah. is important. Communition, huh. is that how you form a turd? No, what? no, no. It's the breaking down of anything. It could be digestion. It could be through weathering. It's just communition is the reducing material to my new particles. Right. So breaking a rock into sand over time is communition. Smashing right. something into yeah. little bits. Okay. Well, well thank they, you. Dave, no, I, yeah. I, I want to thank you both very much for inviting me on, you know, because um, when people think about paleontology, a lot of times they think about the bones or the shells or the leaves all of which are body fossils, which are so cool. However, sometimes the trace fossils don't get as much press. So I really appreciate your, your respecting that trace fossils add to our collective body of what we can infer about ancient worlds. But I like them more because they represent a day. They represent a moment in time. That's an right. afternoon. A in time. An afternoon, a Wednesday at three o'clock, like that. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We're just all about sharing that paleo love, Karen. So anyways, Dr. Chen, it has really been uh, so fun. So thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I know. That was great. I think that was one of our funnest interviews, man. That was a, that was a blast. Great guest. Well, you know why? Because you're dancing on the edge of something... We're taught as naughty, and and you know we shouldn't be talking about feces and poo and no, and, don't no, and, yes. yeah, and so much of our vernacular is the s word, you know. You were like we you say said, it every day, but we tell children not to. So why right. we we have to bleep it, that word? We have to bleep yeah. out of the show. We use every other description except the one, which is yeah, that's yeah. the bizarre things, anyways. And I think what's great is that here we are diving into a subject that normally. You just always think of as gross, but it's really an amazing wealth of information, especially in the paleo world. I mean, it's I was blown away. I was I loved it. Yeah, there's so much you can learn from just something as as base as uh, a pile of poo, <laughs> okay. man. But yeah, <laughs> so I learned that word coprophagy, right? Coprophagy. That's oh, what the, is that? the animals that eat. Oh, like a dung beetle. Dung. Yeah. Right. So. Do you know about the coprophagic bear incident no, that happened no. here in Alaska this last year? 
No. Well, a woman went out to the old outhouse, and she right. sat down. It was the middle of winter, you know, where the bears right. are supposed to be sleeping. Right. And lo and behold, there was a black bear actually down there eating the poo. And in the dunny. In the dunny, in the outhouse, and, and bit her in the butt. What? Yeah. You liar. Bit no. her in the butt. Yeah. Actually, now on, on further analysis, actually, but they th- they thought maybe they didn't, didn't actually Scratched. bite her. It swatted at her. Right. But oh, uh, that's goodness. a true story, dude. So it, uh, I thought, wow, I was going to ask her about that, but I thought I would just well, tell you, Well, you know, Dave. I have caught, uh, I caught Arthur, uh, may he rest in peace. Your dog, this is what we're talking about. Dude, I caught Arthur eating the, rema- the, the poo from humans, other dogs, coyotes. Uh, and uh, that's really all I care to mention. At the so moment. he was he was coprophagic yeah. himself. Coprophagic himself, yeah. Uh, now I don't know what you know the nutritional. I guess if you're starving, I don't know why dogs would be doing that. Right. But um, you know, well, here but... I'm gonna here's a uh, a question I'm gonna pose to you, Ray, and then oh, we'll what? wrap it up and say goodbye. Oh, oh. So if you were starving and you had to eat no, no, your dead relative, no, no, your dead in a plane crash, no, no, or or become coprophagic, no, no, pick one, please. Mm, oh, either eat Can, the eat, yeah cannibalism the or can... coprophagic. <laughs> Eat the relative or eat your relative's turd. Which would you do? Oh, man. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Oh, and end now this, I'm tortured this by that crazy, thought. crazy episode. It May we great. never get to that point in our lives, sir. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah. on that, uh, that, that bleak note, uh, really, uh, a very fun episode. And, uh, man, she is cool. I want to go hang with Karen. I want to go out in the field with her. I want to, yeah, yeah. she's just, she was just a lot of fun. And another great episode of Paleo Nerds. If you liked what you heard, please let us know on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, paleonerds.com. We'd love to hear your suggestions of topics and guests. Uh, and maybe uh, we'll do a contest and you can win over our Paleo Nerds t-shirts. That's right. You could do that. All right. And of course, great are idea. you, Ray? Are you a Paleo Nerd? David, why do you have to ask me that repeatedly? Every show. You know it, sir. You know right. that I was born a Paleo Nerd. Me too. Still am okay. one, man. All right, you porophagic dog, man. What? I will talk to you in the future. In the future. Over now. Later. Bye. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time. <laughs>